Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastrights.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, so there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the vaccinated and the... Now, here's what's interesting. Nobody wanted to comment on that because it's one of those... Because everywhere we go, we divide the world into twos. There are these kinds of people and these kinds of people. And I don't really like the way we're dividing the world right now, so I have some suggestions, okay? Uh, there are dog people and cat people. There are Coke people and Pepsi people. There are ice cream in a bowl and just a spoon people. There are those who think there are two kinds of people and those who don't. There's those who agree with me and those who don't yet. There are givers, and they sleep well at night. There are takers, and they eat well all the time. Um, uh, there are those who know math and those who don't. There are talkers and those who hate to listen. There are those who love me and those who haven't met me yet. A little less laughter than I was hoping for on that one. There are uh, pessimists and those not paying attention. I like Okay. Okay going to be like that, huh? There are people who ask for direction, and there are men. <laughs> I knew I'd get a 50% applause on that one. I knew I was about halfway on that one. There are uh, deep dish people and skinny people. <laughs> Reminder, I'm from Chicago, deep dish. It's called pizza, real pizza, not California stuff. Um, and uh, there's, there, there are those who can extrapolate from incomplete data I thought that was hilarious. Those people who have a sense of humor and the rest of you. Okay, so two kinds of people. So there's this picture in, in Scripture, and I just, I love to sometimes just take the, the historical kind of what happened in Jesus' life and, uh, and, and his interaction with people and, uh, and just kind of look at the players. So I want you to uh, just take a moment with me, and I want you to think about this, this room that's it's going to happen. Uh, there's a story that Jesus calls Matthew to come follow him, and, uh, and then Matthew throws a big party at his house, and at the party there are two kinds of people. Now I want to suggest to you that both kinds of people weren't invited. And so because there was a large group of people, my, my, my guess is, just, this is just me guessing, you know, thinking. Uh, and so here's the deal. I think it might have been outside. And so let's just imagine. Let's just imagine they had a little, little yard in the front. Not, not like grass. It's the Middle East. So, you know, dirt. But, but maybe they put up a little, you know, like a little half wall kind of thing, you know, just to keep the kids in or something. I don't know. And, and let's imagine they got tables out there. It's kind of a farm to table kind of feel. You know what I'm saying? It's all my imagination. It's not Bibles, but it's okay. It's good. And, uh, and so they're sitting on the front, and they got little lamps hanging in the trees, and, and they got all these people there. And then right outside the wall are some other people who are coming to observe and to make commentary about what's happening. Okay? And so here are the two kinds of people. And it doesn't say any of that in Scripture. It just says there are two kinds of people there, okay? But I like to imagine these things, what it might have looked like. And so let's imagine that there was one kind of people out looking in, making comments, because it doesn't seem like, well, you'll see why they probably weren't on the inside. And then there's another group on the inside. And maybe you want to think about which group you probably belong to uh, just as we read this passage, okay? Here it is. It's found in Matthew 9, uh, verse 9 through 13. Uh, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting on the tax collector's booth, sitting at the tax collector's booth, which meant he was a 
tax collector. Okay. Um, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his, his disciples. Now, by the way, it's interesting because Matthew's writing this, and so he is underplaying. And when you read it in Luke's account, you'll find that he threw a great banquet, it says. He threw a great banquet. So it wasn't just like a little couple of people over for a little dinner party. It was like a big deal, okay? And so he's kind of underplaying because he didn't want to, you know, whatever. So while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, it's interesting. He himself is writing tax collectors and sinners. He's making that, he's making that category, all right? Um, hint, that's one group of people. And, and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees... Um, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, by the way, you notice they didn't ask Jesus the question. They asked his disciples and Jesus overheard it, right? Because they really had the guts to go after Jesus directly. Uh, On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, here's what you might think if you just heard this and you didn't really know the context. You might think that he says, I came for the tax collectors and sinners because you guys are all good. You guys are fine. You guys are great, okay? You're the healthy. I don't need to come to you. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. It's not like what he's saying. He's, but he's taking a little shot at them because in this very next phrase, he says something. And he said, and this is a shot. It says, but go and learn. So the Pharisees were supposed to be the learned religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, two different groups. The Pharisees were supposed to learn. And he's, what he's saying is you don't really understand what Scripture says. You need to go and learn the real story, what really God is about and what a real relationship with God is about. You need to go and learn what this means. And then he goes on. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because the Pharisees were all about keeping the rules and, you know, doing things. And I don't do this on, on the Sabbath. And I don't do this. And I don't touch these kinds of people. And I would never do a de- touch a dead animal or, or whatever. I, 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 they're just all about the rule keeping, okay? It's very sacrificial way to live, supposedly. And yet he's saying, it's not about that. It's not that, about that at all. You need to have a change of heart. And that's kind of this whole passage. By the way, in many stories in this section of, of the Gospels, uh, the, the, the Pharisees come after him and, and they say all kinds of things uh, about Jesus because the whole issue is a heart issue. And, uh, and he says, um, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's the two groups, the two groups. The first one, the tax collectors and sinners. These are the sick and seeking. I'm just going to call them the sick and seeking, all right? And the other one is the deceived deniers. They're deceived and they're denying the reality of their own condition. So there's an interesting thing I came across. It's not from the Bible, but neither was my illustration of the front yard. So anyway, but we're going to use the Bible too. Uh, Here's an interesting thing from the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Anybody know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are? You ever heard of those Dead Sea Scrolls? All right. Dead Sea Scrolls found in the, in, in, uh, from the Qumran community uh, around the, at the north end of the Dead Sea, found in the, I think it was uh, late uh, in 46 through the 50s, I think, and uh, maybe even in the 60s. And they found these scrolls, some written uh, actually on copper, um, most written on either papyrus or on uh, lamb skin or uh, some other animal skin. And they are from as much as maybe 350 years before Christ all the way up until maybe 80 years after Christ. Um, Those are rough numbers off the top of my head, but I'm I'm pretty close. In there, there's an interesting phrase that gets used. And it gets used, and it turns out it's about the Pharisees. And so this group of people, 
had, for many years, they've been a sect of Judaism. They had a beef with the Pharisees. And here's what they refer to them as, and, and there's a historical thing where uh, they, there, there was a, a leadership and, it, and they, uh, they've been conquered and then a change of leadership and, and they'd taken one side and 800 of them got killed and their families and so on. There's, it's historically accurate. And, but here's what they call them. It was really interesting. They called them, now I just called them the sick and the seeking, right? Here's what the Qumran community called the Pharisees. They call them the seekers of smooth things. The seekers of smooth things. <laughs> that's a weird, that's a weird kind of deal, right? It's taken from a passage, and it's found in in uh, in Isaiah. And in this passage, I've written here. I just want to I put it here so I can read it for you. It says this: Isaiah thirty ten says, uh, "They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions." So this Qumran community is accusing the Pharisees of doing what is expedient, what is self-benefiting, um, and not what is according to God's plan. Now, it's really interesting. They're calling them liars. They're saying that they're lying. And this is sometime before uh, Jesus' time. But it's really interesting to me that they would call them. So they want, they want what they want the way they want it. They want things to be smooth. They don't want anybody to oppose them. They want to have it their own way. They want to kind of be in charge. They have this whole thing. So here's the, the very least we know. And, and whoever was right between the Qumran community and, and, and the Pharisees, I don't know. But here's what we do know is they have a history of being contentious, a history of being political, and a history of trying to take charge of things even when many people get killed. So this is just a little historical. So this, this kind of thing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and all these different groups within Judaism is a long kind, long kind of thing. They've been at this a while, okay? And so when they're kind of coming after Jesus, this is kind of what they do. That's their thing. They come after people, all right? Because they know the right way and nobody else knows the right way. That's kind of their deal, except for God himself came to the earth, Jesus Christ, and he actually knew a better way. And now we see this play out between the ones who say they know better and the ones who know they don't know better. And so one of the things I think we need to do in life is realize that we pretty easily kind of fall into the I know better category, but that we ought to live in the other category where we know we don't know better unless God told us. Right? Does that make sense? And so in this, in this kind of context, we look at what happened. Did the sound just say, change or does, I'm hearing it all of a sudden or is it better for you because it's making me dizzy. Okay, good. Here we go. It's terrible up here. Anybody get any earplugs? Okay, here we go. Um, so I'm just going to give you some thoughts about these two groups, all right? The first one is that they were open. They were open to spiritual things. They were open to truly spiritual things uh, because they invited in Jesus, a, a, a traveling um, itinerant rabbi, and they invited him in and they, uh, they, they allowed him to come in and they even celebrated him with a banquet. So they were open to spiritual things. The truth is that if we don't remain open to what God has for us, we're going to be like the Pharisees and be closed. We will be closed to things. You ever trying to have a conversation with someone? I was having a conversation not so long ago with someone, and, and, uh, and, and I, I just couldn't read them. They were just blank, nothing. And I'm like, this is some of my best stuff. You're not even reacting. Kind of like some Saturday nights, not tonight, but some. <laughs> and I could just tell that whatever is, is, is they're preoccupied with or whatever they've predetermined is negating the possibility of me having any impact at all. 
And they had come into it closed. They had come because they're fearful, because, because they had bad, I don't know why, but the Pharisees came into everything closed because they thought they had it all figured out and they knew it all. And so we find that the, the ones who were open, they were open, and this is something I think we need to learn, for, learn from, is they were open because they were broken and they knew they were broken, and they were willing to be vulnerable about that brokenness, and they were curious or seeking. Now, I may be reading too much in this, but listen and see what you think. Um, the people, um, they knew they were a mess. And until we come to know, by the way, this is just called being a sinner. And, and the Bible says we're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And one of the problems is sharing my faith with people in the world is they have been so taught that if they'll just dig deep enough, they've got it all together inside. They don't need help. And that's just a lie. We all need help. I was talking to a young man one time and, uh, and he was spouting off stuff, just stuff. I mean, he was getting deep and, and, and his, his worldview and his philosophy and, you know, and most, he just kind of gathered it from different sources and I kind of knew where the sources were and they weren't good sources. And fine, and he just was telling me how it all together, how it all figured out. And I went, you know, what's so weird is that I am so much older than you and you just seem to have it all together. And the older I get, the more real I realize how messed up I am. Isn't that amazing? He didn't catch my sarcasm and just kept spouting off how incredible he was. And I just thought, okay, all right, I got you. But the reality is, is the more we come to grips with our own, our own brokenness, our own um, faults and flaws, and I was on the freeway today down toward Newport Beach, and I was getting back, I was getting on the freeway, and they went from two on-ramp lanes to one. And two cars just zoomed past me, and I'm in my four-wheel drive pickup, and the third one decides they're going to do it. And I perceive that maybe it wasn't their turn. (laughs) So I sped up a little bit, just to let them know, my turn. They disagreed. Turns out they thought it was their turn. So I sped up a little more. And they floored it and missed the front bumper of my car by so close and I just started laughing because I was thinking, Dale, how old are you and how stupid are you? What do you care if a little spoiled girl in a little Range Rover went past you? I'm sorry, that was projecting. That was not true. I'm sure she, I'm sure she bought that car herself and worked really hard for it. <clears throat> and I have to be honest with you, on the way home, I had to have a conversation with God. Why did I do that? Because when she did that, I just started laughing. I thought it was hilarious. I, she beat me in my own game. I was like, okay, I deserve that. And then I thought, why did I do that? Why was my reaction to not just slow down a little more? I'd already let two go by. What's one more? What do I care, right? Because there's something broken inside of me. If you get to the head of the line before I do at the grocery store, I'm not going to like you very much for a couple minutes because there's something broke. You're looking at me like you've never, ever done that. Are you telling me you willy-nilly choose a line and don't try to figure out who's going to get to the front first? Because there's something, you're not that busy. You're not that much of a hurry. There's something broken in us, right? And the more we realize it, the more I had to have a little conversation with God on the way back to the office and going, okay, God, I was so dumb. I could have caused an accident. I could have hurt somebody. What do I care? I, what? But there's something broken in all of us. Why do I say harsh things to the woman I love more than anything else in this world? Because there's something broken inside of me, right? And so I think one of the things, when you're a tax collector and a sinner by your own definition, by the way, if you don't know what tax collectors mean, it's not just IRS, it's even worse, as bad as that is. 
the reality is tax collectors were Jews who had turned on their own people and collecting um, money for the Romans, the conquerors. They were outcasts, not just religiously, socially, culturally. They were outcasts. But sometimes when you're the outside looking in, you realize you got some stuff, you got some issues. Maybe that's why they were more open to who Jesus was than the Pharisees, because they were pretty convinced they didn't have any issues because they kept more of the rules than the other guys, right? Because their whole hope in life was based on rule keeping. So um, I think broken, vulnerable people. Um, it's interesting. A lot of times, uh, it's not a lot. It happened a couple of times in the last 40 years. People would compliment me on the sermon. But here's what, here's what I try to say most of the time. Sometimes I'll say, oh, thank you for the affirmation. But most of the time I will say, you know, we're just learning good stuff together because I want to make sure I stay on this side of the ledger. I'm, I'm still a sick-seeking guy. I still got stuff. I still got brokenness, right? Just like you. And we're learning this together. I don't have it all figured out. And if you ever hear a, a teacher of the Bible who acts like he's got it all figured out, he's a liar, okay? Don't listen to anything. Go find somebody who's humble enough to go, yep, we're in this together. We got to figure this out and God's going to help us, right? Broken, vulnerable, um, and, and respectfully curious and seeking. Um, is there something I'm missing? Is there something, is there a God? Is there a possibility that life could be different? On, on the closed side of things, I think um, there's nothing worse than people who believe that God thinks like they think. Not people who want to think like God thinks, but people who believe that God thinks like they think. Because they don't only think they're right, they think God is on their side. These are some of the worst people in the world. They do things like blow up things and kill people. They do things like march outside of, outside of offices and threaten people and, and call them names. And that's, God doesn't think like you think. Remember, you're broken. I'm broken. I want to learn to think like God thinks, not vice versa. The Pharisees seem to be closed and they're, they're judgmental. So they walk into a situation and they go, there, there it is. There you are. There you, instead of going, hey, there you are, how you doing? It's like, nope, gotcha. So the Pharisees play, life for the Pharisees is one great big game of gotcha. You ever been around somebody who plays gotcha? You just have a sense that they're just waiting for you to mess up and they're going to smack you down. They're going to call you out. Not because they care, but because they're jerks. No, I'm serious. You ever, you ever seen that? Some people think that's true about God. Maybe they had a parent that was like that, and they think God's that way. I have a friend who, for years, raised in a Christian home, and he still believes to this day that God's out to get him, out to catch him doing something wrong, and then, gotcha. God already knows what you're doing wrong. He doesn't have to play gotcha. He says, forgive you, help you. God offers all kinds of things. He doesn't play gotcha. We live in a gotcha society. If you go online and social media, you may not be the brightest person I've ever met. Because I will guarantee you there's somebody out there waiting to play gotcha with you waiting for you to say something that might not be quite true, wasn't what you intended to say, or didn't come out the way you thought it was, and oh, gotcha. Somebody's sitting in their mom's basement. Gotcha. Right? The reality is, that's what these guys did. They walked around trying to find people to, gotcha. It was so silly that if you read the surrounding stories in, in the Gospels, everything from Jesus healing a guy's hand on the Sabbath, what did they say? Oh, you healed his hand. That's amazing. What did you learn? No, they say, gotcha, because you can't work on the Sabbath but the guy's hand. Do you, do you not see the guy's hand? Nope, gotcha. Right? Jesus has explained to them theologically and whatever. Matter of fact, they get so mad. They're so busy playing gotcha. At one point, they just huddle up and go, what are we going to do with this guy? 
And then the plot begins toward the cross because they were so about gotcha. They were so about arguing, so about the closed, already determined what the world is about, not able to even see God's plan. They're not only um, judgmental, they were hiding. I think judgmental people are usually hiding. They're hiding from something. I was watching an interview, and I can't remember, I used this illustration, but I think it was at, one of the, I've been speaking a lot lately, so I can't remember which place I used. If I use it here, forgive me. Um, so I, I was reading this article of this, uh, uh, I, I was watching an interview of a lady who had written a book, and this book is causing a lot of controversy in the world right now, culturally. And she's, she's, a, she's an activist, and she's got a cause, and and, um, and it's not necessarily a cause I agree with. Uh, I, 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 I'm not doubting her motives. I'm just saying I, I don't think that's the right solution probably. But, and the interviewer says, okay. And they get to the interview and all the philosophy and all the stuff, which was, I really think, based on some really bad ideas. And the interviewer says, okay, where's the hope? And it was the weirdest moment. I'm watching this interview. So, okay, where's the hope? And they were doing it, um, you know, two different locations. And the camera cut just to her, and she just sat there with a crestfallen look on her face. And there was this long silence. And then she said, I don't think there is any hope. And I just went, yeah, you're right, there's not. Because what you're proposing isn't the solution. Because people aren't at the core of who they are good. They're not. They're selfish. They're sinful. They're broken, just like me. And they need something supernatural to break that pattern if we're ever going to be able to get along with each other. And then she said, I don't think there is any hope. And then she caught herself realizing she was on camera and was probably being a little too transparent. And she went, but I don't think about that. I've just got to keep working. What the Pharisees did was they put all their hope in being good enough, but they couldn't look up and think about the fact that maybe you can't be good enough because indeed you can't. See, the Pharisees believed in a life after this, and unlike the Sadducees, they believed there was something after this. They didn't know what it was, but there could be something. The only way to get a good outcome in that sense was to be good enough. And they were afraid to look at themselves and go, maybe I can't be good enough. I just got to work harder. I got to try harder. I got I to gotta be more legalistic. I got I to gotta demand more of others. I got to, 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 I got to. Right? They're hiding. I think we live in a world that's hiding. I think we have a whole lot of people that are afraid to look deep down and realize that the core of who they are, it's not really all that pretty, honestly. There's some great potential. There's some great possibilities along the way. But at the core of who they are, they are, as the Bible has taught us all along, and as I have realized, and many of you realize, at the core of who we are, we are broken. We are sinful. We are selfish. And if you're hiding from that fact, you'll never find ultimate solutions for yourself, for your family, for your society. And so I think they were hiding, to be honest with you, hiding behind this this self-righteousness. So they were, they were closed, they were self-righteous, um, legalistic. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1, 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. They'd already determined what the Messiah would look like. Even there's, there's no clear indication of what they believed. They'd already determined what the Messiah would look like and they couldn't accept Jesus as such because they were already so convinced. They were deluded. You can't be good enough. So um, the sick and the seeking, are they're open. They're hungry. You see, those of us um, who come to faith are people, I believe, who have to be, have enough self-awareness to know that there's something missing. We might not at the outset know what it is, but there is something missing. There, is, there has got to be more. And, and we think about is, 
is what I'm doing now, if you're not a person of faith in Jesus Christ, is what you're doing now really going to get you where you think you need to go? And what makes you think that? Just because it's conventional wisdom? I'm going to tell you, during this pandemic, I've heard a lot of quote-unquote wisdom. And it changes about every three months. Does it not? And these are people who spend their entire life studying this stuff and knowing this stuff, and they say it so emphatically. And then three months later, well, yeah, but... What makes you think that whatever you're aiming for in your life isn't the same? What makes you think that whoever told you and wherever you're inculcated with this idea that having lots of money was going to make you happy, getting to the top of the corporate ladder is going to make you happy, whatever it is that you're doing life about, who, who says that's true? Sometimes we need to question ourselves and maybe be hungry for a little deeper. I read this quote recently. Just see if it resonates with you. All desire... All desire is ultimately a desire for God. All desire is ultimately a desire for God. Think about this. My desire for intimacy with my wife is ultimately for, to know and be known completely. Right? My, uh, my desire to achieve something with my life is ultimately to hear those words when my heavenly father says, you did good. Right? Ultimately, it's God that I want to impress. Ultimately, it's God who can make me okay. Ultimately, it's God who can bring healing and affirmation and justification and all the things that I I really want. All desires, and until we come to grips with the fact that our desires will not be truly met for, yeah, you can have a bucket of ice cream and use the spoon and and the carton, but it will only last until the stomach ache is over and then you want more ice cream, right? The reality is only in God do we find fulfillment, the meeting of our desires? Um, and so they're hungry. In, in the end, in the end, uh, the seeking uh, and the, the sick and seeking were uh, changed. Um, they turned themselves without reservation. Here's what it says in Luke in this version of the story. It says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, Matthew, sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, left everything, and followed him. Until we come to realize that life is empty without ultimate meaning, ultimate love, ultimate peace and joy, we would keep hanging on to stuff, hoping it's going to get us there. Matthew walked away from his livelihood, walked away from everything he put in his hopes, and maybe he was old enough to realize it's not going to get me there. And he left everything. That's how valuable a relationship with God is. And And then he threw this banquet. It says, then Levi, again in Luke, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors, others were eating with them. Now here's what's interesting. We used to call this this passage, the party with the purpose. The party with the, he he found something good. He wanted to share it with everybody he cared about, everybody he knew, and so he threw a great banquet. Let me tell you something. People who are open spiritually are includers. People who are closed are excluders. They only know how to tell you who's not in. Cancel culture is not new. It's not a new thing. What do you think the Pharisees were doing? Oh, you're a tax collector? You're canceled. Oh, you're having dinner with a tax collector? You're canceled. Oh, you took some seeds on the Sabbath and rubbed them and ate them? You're canceled. That's all they were doing. That's all they were about is walking around trying to cancel. Whereas those who were open to spiritual things, open to God's guidance, were includers. Tax collectors and sinners already knew they were tax collectors and sinners. They didn't have to be pointed out. They were pretty well aware of it. All the excluders are pointed out. But what do they do about it? I think as Christians, we need to not walk around going, oh, you're out, you're out, you're out. Let, let God take care of that part of it, okay? What if we walk around and say, oh, you know what? I know how you feel. 
you're included. Come on over. Let's have dinner. Let's talk about the ultimate issues in life. Let's talk about what this needs to look like. Let's talk about how I'm trying to make some progress in my life. Maybe it could help you. I really feel like um, we as Christians need to be different from the culture around us. The, the excluders, the deceived deniers, the Pharisees, they remained unchanged. They devolved deeper in their dysfunction, denial, began to call Jesus a blasphemer, began to call him demon-possessed. They were devoid of celebration and compassion. They were devious in the name of religion, which is the worst thing. That is the worst thing. Um, and so the question is, which side are you on? We all want to say, well, we're like the sinners. But if you're like me on the freeways, maybe you're not so much. Maybe you got a little bit of Pharisee in you. Maybe you got a little of that thing in you. You kind of need to get it out of there and get honest with God. So let me just get to the outcomes real quick. Let me give you the outcomes. For the, the sick and the seeking, there was a feast, both at Matthew's house and one to come. Uh, there was a friend, an ultimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is the good news, that you can have a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, and uh, that puts everything else in place in your life. And there is a forever And it's not just a hope for forever, forever. it's a guaranteed forever in which Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for us and that he would bring us to be with him one day. If you're living on the side of the Pharisees, you've got false hope. Um, You've got frustration. As a matter of fact, Psalm says something interesting about that. I just want to read that real quick. Psalm 146.9 says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. It's not only does the plan not work when you're doing it yourself, God's not going to let it work for your own benefit. So they're false hope, frustrated, and, and realize they, the futility of their lives. Uh, Romans one twenty one. for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Seeker after smooth things, things that are going to work for me. I was thinking about um, ultimate issues today, and I was thinking about the ultimate time when this life ends. And my dad, and I don't want to be super like heavy about this, but I just, I just think this story is interesting. My dad, uh, as he was dying, he knew he was dying, and all he ever said was, I'm not afraid to die. I'm going to be with the Heavenly Father. I don't want much pain on the way, he said. And he didn't. He never went on pain meds. Um, and the night, he, d- he died early in the morning. Um, and I, I'd spent the night next to his hospital bed in a little bed next to him. Um, and during the night, he was, uh, he was uh, not conscious, but he was doing something interesting. And, and, uh, and his, his mental capacities were diminishing just the last day or so. And so I, I wasn't sure what was happening. And then the next morning when he died, I, I kind of began to reflect on what he was doing that night. And it was really interesting because just take this for what it is. I was laying in the bed next to him, and I look over at him, and um, and he's and he's he's kind of like this, and he's and he's doing this, and he's moving his hands, and I can't figure out if he's climbing, but it doesn't look like, and he's not frantic, he's very calm, he's not he's not fighting anything. There was nothing coming after him. There was nothing he was afraid of. He was very calm. It was almost like he was arranging something. It's almost he was like he was making some kind of arrangement or something, and and I thought on the way home after he had died and. I was thinking, what was he doing? Because my wife's uh, father died, and and um, 
he indicated to his wife that he was seeing Jesus just before he went. And so I, I was thinking, and I've read, you know, near-death experiences, all this kind of, I know all the stuff. And I just began to think, was he arranging something? Was he arranging something for when the rest of us got there? I have no idea. You're saying, well, he was just hallucinating. And that's probably true. It probably is. But let me tell you what's important about that story is the first thought that came to my mind wasn't that he was hallucinating. It was he was arranging things because I knew my dad. And that's the kind of thing my dad would do. I know where he is. I know what his life was about. And I know the first thing he'd want to do is say hi to Jesus and then tell him now we're going to set up rooms for my kids because they're coming. And my wife's going to be here in a little while and we just need to get some things moved around and get it straightened out. Was that what was happening? I, have, I don't know. But that's what came to my mind. I didn't have a thought that, you know, that he was fighting. He wasn't fighting. He wasn't violent. He wasn't scared. He was just gently moving his hands and doing this. Now, whether it's true or not, it's not the point. The point is, that's what I first thought I had. What's the first thought when you go to be with Jesus, the people that you know are going to have? My first thought when my friend John Michael Bishop Maguero died in a car accident in Uganda was, my very first thought was, well, now he knows now he knows that everything he preached, everything he read in God's word is true. Now he knows. You see, I want to be one of those guys who dies looking forward with anticipation, not looking back with regret. How many people do you know that have died saying, man, I wish I'd... Versus how many of you know that say, oh, it's going to be good. A whole different world. A whole different outcome. You say, ah, that's pie in the sky. Oh, it's more than pie. It's buildings and mansions and streets of gold. It's a whole lot more. Well, uh, if that helps you get through. It helps me get through because I believe it's true. I, I, Jesus never lied about anything else. Why would you lie about that? Two kinds of people. Well, that's, that's kind, of, you know, kind of narrow. I know. Talk to him about it, not me. But for those who believe, it is the best news possible. It is the greatest news don't be a Pharisee. We can all be Pharisaical. We can all kind of get in that mood. Don't be there. Open your heart. What if God really is who he said he is? What if God really does want to do If you're an unbeliever, what if he really wants to forgive you for all you've ever done wrong and begin to change you to a character more like Jesus and take you to that place, that heaven place when you die? What if that's true? What if you as a believer actually are living in about a third of the capacity God intends for you and you've kind of closed off because of woundedness or disappointment or discouragement? And maybe if you just open that up a little bit, just open that spiritual doorway a little bit and let God speak hope into your heart that things can get even better. You don't just have to live for the day by and by, but even tomorrow can be different because you're here for a reason and you have a God who loves you. What kind of person do you want to be? I'm finding that, uh, Amy talked about fighting battles in worship. I'm finding that accompanying my worship is a lot of prayer about the good news. There's plenty of bad news. There's bad news everywhere. You just have to turn on a TV or whatever. There's bad news. But the exceptional thing is the good news. And this is the best news. And this is where I'm living these days. In God's promises. In God's goodness. In the hope that comes from now and forever being in a relationship with Him. So today, I hope, I hope, I pray that you'll move that direction. Because that's where life is found. That's where hope is found. That's where peace and joy and love and all the things that we truly desire, that's where it's found. And if you need to 
make a commitment to move to the other side, we'd love to help you do that. There'll be some folks down front would love to pray with you. And if, if you're on Jesus' side already, but you've been struggling, come down, let us pray with you. Let us move you a little further, a little deeper into that good news. Let us help remind you that there is a God who loves you and, and wants to do things in your life because that is incredible news. If not, I'm not sure what we're doing here, but that is true and that is real. And because of that, we can keep going, moving forward with anticipation of what is to come. Let's pray. Lord God, today I am, uh, I am so thankful that I don't have to take my cues from a culture around me. I don't have to have my attitudes determined by my circumstances. I don't have to live under the weight of the bad news everywhere. But Lord, I can live in anticipation and the knowledge that you not only love me now, that you will love me forever. And that when I get pharisaical and I get judgmental and I begin to look down on others and start to play gotcha, at least in my mind, Lord God, I thank you for convicting me of that, of reminding me that I am called to something so much greater and something more, and I have been given so much more. Lord God, let us live as seekers after you, after your heart, not after smooth ways, smooth paths, being in control. Let us seek after you. And in so doing, change us, Lord God. Change the very core of who we are. Make us seekers and not just sinners. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you guys so much for being here. Again, we have folks on front. We'd love to pray with you. If you haven't signed up for Rooted, please do that. And uh, you know what? We're not in quarantine, so give somebody a high five on the way out. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.